Video Nasties A through Z with Death by DVD, The Cannibal Man, and Devil Hunter. Just keep repeating it. Just keep repeating it. Only a podcast. Just keep repeating it. Only a podcast. This is Death by DVD. I am your host, Alexander Nash, and with me as always is my co-host, an Al Cliver impersonator. It's Hank. Hello, I'm the dumbest man in the world, Al Cliver. That's a not a very good uh, David Warbeck impersonation. Yeah, I don't. I I didn't get even near Al. It's Cliver too either. proper because Warbeck's impersonation is more like, "Hello, I'm Al Cliver. I'm the dumbest uh, man in the world." There you go. There you go. I think I get, came off a little Beatle-ish there, you know? You're doing a little John Lennon. Nah, fuck that. David Warbeck was, uh, where the fuck was he from? Was he English like, or was he one of the few Americans to work in the ranks of Lucha? No, he was Fulci? English. I just don't know what, like, what, uh, region his, uh, dialect is from. Yeah, tonight's episode is a video nasty, so you're going to learn a lot of random facts about a lot of random people. Oh, wow. So uh, this is interesting. He is from New Zealand. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, I didn't. I thought he was British. Um, David Warbeck. There you go, ladies and gentlemen, who's in neither movie we're going to be discussing on this episode. <laughs> Not even close. Al Cliver is in one of them, though, so you do get some Al Cliver. So, I mean, maybe there's Woo! some seven degrees of David Warbeck. Maybe that's a new game people can play. Pretty much any Italian actor from the 1970s or 80s has been in a David Warbeck film. One of the few people, I think, on record to say nice things about Lucio Fulci. <laughs> Him and Catriona McCall are, the, are some of the only people I've ever not heard say, oh, he was a big dickbag. Well, they didn't have to really be around him. They were stars. They got to hang out in their trailers and shit while he was being a dick to the actual crew and extras. Yeah, apparently Lucio Fulci was a very, very miserable person, but victims aren't we all. On this episode, we're going to be talking about one of the worst movies ever fucking made, though. I, uh, I have dreaded doing this. I have. <laughs> I wouldn't quite go that far, but it's bad. It's not enjoyable to sit through, but like worst ever. I mean, you're, you, there's shot on shittio stuff that you're completely yeah. ignoring that can be described as worse than that movie this is just up there with bad and it's not one of those clever funny things like the room where you can look at it and have some face value appreciation when we get to this movie i'm just going to bitch and groan and then thankfully i think it's the second movie i think we have a, a pretty okay one to start this video nasties off with yes uh because next on the video nasties countdown list is this where we have like music or something come in like prices right music all right. Um, we have a movie called The Cannibal Man. If you've seen the trailer, that's exactly how they put the uh, the very polite British narrator does. You have The Cannibal Man. The Cannibal Man. Um, a movie whose actual title I'm pretty sure is not The Cannibal Man. 
I don't speak it, Spanish. Uh, I, I hardly have a grasp on the English language, yet alone speaking another one. I don't speak Spanish, but I'm pretty sure there's too many fucking words for it to just be the cannibal man. It is La Simia or Simiana del Asinio. Whatever that means. Uh, something something assassin is, is what I'm going to guess. Uh, maybe? Or is that a something? The a Week sustiante. of the Killer. Look at that. It, it translates to go. the week of the killer. So I don't know where we get the cannibal man from. And what makes this interesting is the pretense of the word cannibal. Because you're going to assume that obviously it's going to be something like an Umberto Lindsay film or a Ruggiero Diodato film. And it's not. It's more of one of the, it's one of the more artistic nasties, I think. It, it's, I have trouble with the message and meaning because I think there's a lot of interpretation. I think you, you freely can take, not a lot, maybe two or three paths you can take to interpret this movie. I think it's a little muddled, but I still think it's a really pretty and interesting nasty. Nasty. Well, it's, I mean, for the, for the 70s, it has a, a definite message. It's not particularly like hitting you hard, but it's definitely there. It's just not out in the open, which is, I guess, the, the best way to explain it is out in the open. Because it has a very much um, dealing with your own personal uh, homosexuality uh, kind of a vibe behind it. I'm pretty sure that even the director, yeah, the director himself was a gay man and um, was making kind of a subversive film about coming to grips with uh, your own personal homosexuality. And in this, uh, the way this movie is laid out, though, it it could be described as making a, like possibly pointing it out as being a negative thing, but I, that's kind of not the correct interpretation because basically what happens with this man is he accidentally kills somebody and that sparks off and he's, he works at a, a slaughterhouse at an abattoir and he um, accidentally kills somebody and that sparks this kind of week long wrath of terror he has where he just ends up having to kill people that come back to his house because they discover bodies in his house uh, until he kind of comes to grip comes to grips with who he is basically a uh, gay man who's been parading around pretending like he is super masculine and super straight and the uh, the one Fucking gay guy man never wears he... a shirt the whole movie he either has a jean jacket on or a tank top so I'm sorry he does somewhat wear a shirt but for the most part of the movie he wears uh he's in a Canadian tuxedo he's got these blue jean denims on and then he's got a jean jacket and he's just working in that these are my work clothes I'm really manly it's kind of funny but yeah I mean it's a more esoteric personalized piece it does have scenes of murder and it does have a little bit of uh slaughterhouse footage not even particularly graphic it just it's there um and the the cannibalism in it is very like implied it's not even particularly shown that much it's just kind of like he has to get rid of the he has to get rid of the body somehow and that's one thing he does it's just like ah fuck it i guess i'll eat them and they just don't get, you know, like super uh, visceral with it. It's just kind of more alluded to what he is, uh, has to end up doing with the bodies. Well, he takes the bodies to work because that's one of the, the big opening plot points is uh, you find out that his mother was uh, viciously burned to death by accident. And they try to give him a promotion because she worked at the same slaughterhouse. So he's promoted to man the machine that they now have that pretty much makes uh, mechanically separated meat, Slim Jims, uh, chicken nuggets, shit like that. And he starts taking bits and pieces of the bodies to the machine, and they're starting to get readouts that not all of the meat is what they thought it was. You know, that they're getting the percentages of fat, and that there's a weird 
trace inside of it. And that's a, a problem with the movie is they have these multiple angles that he's like going to get busted and you start venturing into these paths that with one of the, the second or third kills, a piece of hair gets stuck on a tool and you, you think, oh, well, somebody's going to find that later and he's going to get busted and it just fades out. You have both of his bosses very curious why he's bringing a bowling bag to work every day. They find it empty and that's just the, the end of the scene. That's just where it goes. But he's feeding a lot of it into this... uh mechanically separated meat machine, I guess you could call it, because it's like a Slim Jim maker, and the company makes famous, like Mom used to make, soups. So it's, you know, like the little chunks of chicken and chicken noodle soup and whatnot. So a lot of the cannibalism is kind of implied, too, that everyone in town eats, well, I think it was Flore or Flory soup, that everyone's kind of eating these people um, because of him. Yeah, and like I said, it's not particularly visceral. It's just more the the concept is there, and that's... Part of the reason this movie got its pedigree was just because, A, Cannibal in the title. But in reality, it's so much more of a drama piece and almost more of a crime uh, thriller. Um, And it's just this man really coming to grips with who he is. It doesn't seem like that at first. It just kind of seems like he's a little bit lost uh, with what he's doing until they introduce this. um, What is it? It's like his neighbor, isn't it? Thin hair Magoo, yeah, I uh, I think his name was Nestor, and he lives across the street in the high rises. That there's a lot of weird angles and a lot of themes in this movie that don't really connect and come together. But at the very beginning of it, you've got this whole sort of the high rises are being built, and these wealthy upper class people are moving in, and everyone else that lives around this village is just kind of you know they work in the factory, they're just working class Americans, and they have this stigma against the people in the high rises. And the one of his neighbors is pretty much spying on him. The movie even begins with him, with his uh, spectacles, binoculars, binoculars, fucking staring at him. And throughout the entire movie, he slowly begins to witness what happens while befriending him, and he he's attracted to him. You know, it's not like they've made him a super effeminate character, but you definitely know that he's attracted to him. Yeah, and that's really what ends up stopping his reign of terror, more or less, is him finally realizing who he is and uh, what life he should have been leading this entire time. He just kind of gives up on his murder spree, and he's unable to kill this man, and, and pretty much the, the cops eventually just show up and take him down. But I'm, well, He um, goes home and actually calls the police at that point and just says, uh, I think he gives them a phone number or something, and then there's a deleted scene that I don't know if it's actually in any cuts of the movie at all, but there's a scene that shows him in the back of a police car being escorted away, and that's just like jazz is playing and the movie ends. But there's uh, so many, This again, we've discussed this on a lot of video. How many times did you watch it uh, i think i only um no okay this was the one i ended up watching like four fucking times because the the copy i got was a spanish blu-ray and there was multiple language tracks on it and i i don't know i just wanted to see how different they all were and they're they're very different like the italian language version almost completely omits the fact that there is any like homosexual tension or that nestor has a crush on marcos it's just completely gone the dialogues change to like this friendly like hey pal like it's it's very awkward. The English version is a funny dub. It's it's one of those classic dubs that you can get which is funny. The next movie also has one similar to this. You can laugh a lot through it if the movie begins to get a little monotonous. And then of course the Spanish language version was the was the most truthful to I think what the director was. But it was also dubbed. So fuck it. I don't know. This is also a very interesting entry on the video nasties list just because of how subdued the movie really is it does talk about some subversive um, ideas especially for the time period but 
it really doesn't like get insanely violent. It doesn't like wallow in all this, like these horrible things. It's almost somewhat, I know some people wouldn't agree with me with this, but it's almost an uplifting movie of some sorts. And it's just, it's very much more of an art house type scenario. It's not so much a horror film as it is, like I said, like a more like a, uh, like a introspective drama in a lot of ways. It just has horror elements added to it. So this is like one of the video nasties. Like when I first saw it, I didn't know anything about it. Didn't know what it was about. Um, tracked it down, watched it. Got All I can remember man. was the the slaughterhouses. Like I, I, I knew I'd seen the film at some point in my quest of watching every horror movie ever made, but I just remembered the slaughterhouses. And it is kind of unique that you uh, there is, I guess, similar to uh, actual cannibal genre films. There is animal violence in the movie, but most of it was filmed in a slaughterhouse. And it's before things like the captive bolt pistol and uh, sort of the killing fields they have for cows now. And it's very, very visceral. It's very grisly. There's a lot of throat slitting and just buckets of blood being filmed. But I, what I took away from that and thought was kind of neat is out of you know so many horror movies and things like Peter Jackson's Dead Alive that used you know more blood than anything else. I think that record's been beaten, but whatever. This movie probably contains more actual blood than any film out there any I guess you could call mainstream or a released movie in a theater and it was kind of beautiful because all of that violence and all of that blood doesn't really pertain to the violence in the movie and there are some pretty cool scenes of gore and violence when Marcos is going on his killing spree but the beginning of the film is just drenched with with the most disgusting blood I've ever seen but it somehow plays off to the aesthetic of the film and allows it to I don't know. It's fucking weird. It's depressing and makes you want to cry, but it's still some somehow pretty, if that makes sense. Not that I get off on animals being killed. It's just how it was fucking filmed. But I mean, when especially when you're younger and you go into a, the video nasties list, you're expecting a cannibal Holocaust type scenario. You're expecting something along these lines with a movie called Cannibal Man. When you get it and it's so much more of a slow paced drama and you're not getting those intense scenes of um, violence or gore or any of those things. It's when it gets so much in this introspection, you're really kind of like bummed out. Now, on the flip side, when you possibly get a little bit older and you can kind of and if you're more interested in cinema and want to get deeper into meanings of what things are. Yeah, this is an actually pretty interesting film. But as far as like a teenage uh sleepover rental fest this ain't it this is not something that like is everybody's gonna go yeah let's watch cannibal man you're gonna turn it off after about 20 minutes because you're gonna get bored because again it's it's a fucking art film it's an interesting art film to say the least but i mean it's just it's not one of those um high profile video nasties this is not the burning this isn't like a fucking crowd favorite and if you bought or did buy or were thinking about buying the video nasties, don't expect this one going in to be like this really big deal of, wow, I'm really going to see something, aren't I? Not really. That's a bunch of other movies, but this one is a quality film in itself. I mean, does it even really belong on the video nasties list? That's debatable. According to me, anyway, I think it's very debatable because most of the violence again is like the slaughterhouse footage and shit. I don't know why they had such a obsession in the UK with um, it's definitely the animal tools. violence. Well, in this case, uh, because, I really think it's got to be the household implements and tools because once he there's yeah. an accidental death at the beginning and then there's like six back to back murders and then the movie becomes, you know, again, transitions into more of an art house sort of thing. But he uses, I think, uh, 
a giant cleaver, uh, not a hammer, but like a plumber's wrench. He strangles one person, and then there's a very nice articulated throat slashing. But it's too, it's very like Tom Savini, Dawn of the Dead-esque blood. It's stage blood, certainly. I mean, it's very, very bright. It's very, very cheesy. Um, I just I just figure it's got to be the tools because that was the whole thing with the BBFC. They, they pretty much felt, well, the, the people of England are so fucking stupid. If they see this, they're just going to start killing each other left and right with, with tools. And we just can't allow that because they thought so little of their own people. Which, I mean, you can go back to the first episode to hear the whole debacle and us kind of rant and rave about assholes like Peter Kruger and Mary Whitehouse. Because they suck, but it does take up a lot of time restarting that fire. <laughs> That's the thing I don't understand. Okay, like I think a good portion of it is the animal abuse as well. But this isn't animal abuse like like the turtle being killed in Cannibal Holocaust. This isn't just like, look at all the crazy animal deaths. It's slaughterhouse footage. This is literally where your meat comes from. This isn't even like, we killed animals for the making of this film. It's not, not even close to that. It's literally just, hey, you know that steak you're eating? This is where it comes from. I don't know why, like the the BBSC objected so much to shit like that in the long run, because it just seems it seems innocuous to me. It just seems like this is a fact of life, folks. I mean, and we're not, they're not even wallowing in the, the slaughterhouse footage. It's not just like um, look how it's not like faces of death slaughterhouse footage. It's just like very matter of fact. This is what happens. This is the job. So I don't know why that would earn it some ban points or whatever. I also feel the violence is sort of the introduction to our character because after you get all of this awful footage and you see all of the, you know, the cows hanging upside down and their throats being slashed, it then moves on to our lead character, Marcus, who's just standing outside eating a sandwich. That he's so desensitized to this and he's just let all of life, let all of these awful things just kind of not matter to him. I mean, his mother burned to death inside of the own building and he still shows up for work every day and doesn't have any animosity, doesn't seem to care, doesn't seem to mourn. So he's very repressive. He's not dealing with really anything. He just goes to work, hangs out, gets drunk and tries to get laid and nothing really seems to matter until he meets the new neighbor and he starts thinking about things, all the while at the same time killing everyone. I mean, he kills his own brother he kills his girlfriend. He he goes through, spoiler alert, uh, pretty much everyone. I think he kills his brother's fiance and her dad. <laughs> he kills the local barmaid. Oh, he kills a shit ton of people. And it all happens back it's to just back not, to back. But none of it's particularly that violent. I mean, it has a little bit of violence in it, but it's just not that extensive level of like gore and violence. It is very, um, it's not even like, I wouldn't even call it giallo style, where it's just like, you I mean, know, I could like, see it being like influential or, or referred to as like a proto giallo, but you definitely are missing the black gloved killer. There is a lot of hypersexualization, though, because he he gets it on. I mean, I, I, I agree with you 100 percent that he is a homosexual and doesn't want to deal with it. But like I said earlier, I think there is a couple ways that you can interpret it just because it's a little loose. I, I agree with you and like to go with that one. Um, and there was some also deleted sequences that I don't know. Um, this And this happens with the video nasties a lot. There are so many different cuts. There are so many different versions of these movies that have been shown. It's sort of hard unless you know somebody has the same copy as you to pin down what they might have seen. But there's a sequence where uh, Marcos and Nestor go swimming together and he goes home, Marcos, and uh, has a fantasy pretty much that him and Nestor are making out and about to get hot and heavy. And he... That that sequence was deleted and completely. I don't I don't know if it's completely omitted or it's shown up at some point somewhere. But it really would have helped accentuate the plot and at least allow the audience to understand because I think it definitely gets muddled. 
Like, he's killing people because they find the bodies, so his body count continues to rise as he tries to hide with cowardice, but at the same time, it's like, okay, well, he's got to kill every woman he is sexual with because he's repressing the feeling. So you almost get this feeling of, like, are you trying to say he's killing people because he's gay? I mean, I don't think that's 100% clear and a part of the story, but there, it, it could be an interpretation. Yeah, I don't, like, again, I don't think it has to do with him being gay is why he's killing people. I think yeah, I like the repression think. is what's, like, is what's affecting him to a certain extent. He's not being who he truthfully is, and once he lets that go he actually like and basically comes out of the closet to himself he turns himself into the cops and just like oh i've done a lot of horrible things but i know who i am now at least yeah thankfully at the end of the day i know who i am now but i killed a lot of people (laughs) and and, like it's not like the ending is lackluster but it does leave you wanting a little bit more you didn't need any more violence but i would have liked something more than just like yes i'll go to jail now i mean that's what a responsible citizen does later and it just you know pieces out and the director never really seemed to butters out a little bit at the end well, it's, it's unique, too. I don't think the director made any other really exploitation or, or horror-based sort of things. Um, Eloy de la Iglesia. I, and I'm just, I'll be honest, I'm not familiar with his work. But, I mean, there's over 72 video nasties, and so many of them, like this and Axe, are just by, like, the guy that did Axe just made Axe. It's one obscure thing, and that's it. And this is sort of an obscure entry into the video nasties, because I, I agree with you. I don't think it's super appropriate for the list. It's not really nasty. It's yeah, like again, it's it's a lot of title more than anything. All right, so just to nail this one in the coffin before we move on to the next one, Ugh. gonna do what we always do is read from the Art of the Nasty by Nigel Wingrove and Mark Morris on the entry of the Cannibal Man. Not a cannibal movie at all, <laughs> but a psychological study of a man's breakdown, re-released by Redemption Films with an 18 certificate. After just three seconds of footage was cut, a big box reissue was proposed by Intervision. A redesigned sleeve was produced, but there's no evidence that this edition ever found its way into stores. And it was made in 1972, and the uh, the big one that you're looking for is the Intervision uh, copy of it, the Intervision PAL copy of it, but I could not find one for sale on the internet. Um Wow. It, it's not that like salacious of a cover. I mean, it does have a little bit of blood. It has a, uh, it has a meat cleaver on the, uh, on the cover as well, but I couldn't find a, uh, a resale used copy of it, um, and find out what price it was going for. I think this one's actually fairly rare, but not rare enough that it like is really expensive. Particularly. I think it's more just because nobody is that concerned about cannibal man. Most people are, you know, they're after the big ones. They want a copy of faces of death. They want a copy of driller killer and all that kind of shit. So like <clears throat> the cannibal man is not one that people are like actively hardcore hunting for unless you're, you know, you're one of the, hardcore real trolls of the <laughs> collecting market of uh, the VHS pals from that era. I think the one thing that bothered me the entire time while watching the cannibal man is there's this huge emphasis that there are just, you know, dogs everywhere, that there are hungry, starving dogs everywhere. And there's two or three conversations about how there's hungry, starving dogs everywhere. Why the fuck didn't the prick I just feed that the dogs? Is a, well, I think that's a political statement of what was going on in the country at the time and just like the again like you were talking about the high rise and the the lower class people that the the people are now like starving dogs like it's very much an art and kind of 
political film. I ca- I cannot remember the full story of it though. Uh, you'll have to do your own research on this, but I'm pretty sure the director might even been like killed by the government. <laughs> I'm not real sure about that. Look this shit up. Something along those lines, though. I think there's some rumors that Pasolini was killed by the government, but fuck that guy he was a pedophile. Uh, but yes, um. And I, I'm I'm Can't quiet remember. now because I'm so interested in this. I may or may not be uh, IMDBing. I don't know. It doesn't say anything. <laughs> he did. He passed away in 2006, and it says from complications of surgery. Okay, it wasn't him. Then I'm talking I don't about. Know, I, yeah, there's there's drive. a Google it yourself and find out who this person is and email death by DVD, and then we'll talk about it because we'll know. Thank you. <laughs> Maybe he was arrested by the government. I don't remember. I've heard something somewhere that I can't remember what happened to this dude. It was just like, well, that's kind of fucked up. I can't believe the government would fuck with them like that. Well, I mean, it's, uh, it's something people have a hard time believing with right now, but in the United States and the UK, there definitely is a bit of a fascist uprising going on. But in the 1970s, that, you know, with post-World War II, a lot of these countries that had been infiltrated by the Nazis had an awful struggle. I mean, Italy, Spain, and I think France was pretty much safe after they got fucked with really bad. But the police and, and the, the general government and censorship was just beyond extreme. So trying to get a message out in your art, you had to be subtle. And it had to be something like you know, him trying to show the differences of classes with these high rises. And two, like you brought up with the dogs, the starving dogs. What I just didn't get is why the fuck he didn't, you know, cut. He had a giant meat cleaver. He could have just cut up into tiny pieces and given it to the dogs and then problem solved. Because you're thinking of plot and not story. Hey? Yeah, I know. I mean, it, it definitely is more insidious because there's a really terrific scene where he's at the bar and they've made him something to eat. And he sits down and the barmaid who he eventually kills says, this is from your factory. And he just freezes. He gets instantly sick and runs home. And this is actually what leads to her death because she's sympathetic and wants to check on him. But you've got a really heinous thought with that of not even knowing you're consuming human flesh. And that really is one of the coolest horror aspects of this movie. It's gross. It's, you can have all the actual cannibalism and like cannibal holocaust, but just that implication. It, it, it's, uh, that itself is really sufficient and clever. It worked. I appreciate cleverness. But dun dun, next on the list, dun dun dun, going into some Jess Franco, dun dun, I hate Jess Franco, dun dun dun, don't hate me, Stephen Thrower. Uh, yeah, I am not a Jess Franco fan. I'm not a Jesus Franco fan. I am not. I cannot think of all of his different um. He had two pseudonyms many. that. He had so many. Now this um, man officially, I think, has something like 150, 160 films on his record, but I think, honestly, it's something more like 200 to 250, because he directed a shit ton of porn. He used dozens and dozens of fake names, like, what, David Kuhn was one of them, I think Chuck Evans, Preston Quaid, he he just constantly, A.L. Merrickue, he had a load of weird shit he went by, so there are probably movies out there that people don't even realize are by fucking Jess Franco. And I, I always like to try and appreciate You people. know, I can figure it out when it's a Jess Franco movie. Just look how it's made, and you can go, oh, that's Jess fucking Franco. Look at the actors in it. Are there extreme close-ups of pubic hairs multiple times? <laughs> it is Jess Franco. My old joke is always, rack focus to Bush. It's in all of his scripts. Everything. Um, I like to try and appreciate God, people, damn. though. You know, I like to, when, when, 
when we do these video nasties, a lot of the movies are grueling, but I always try and find some form of appreciation for the director. But after Devil Hunter, I fucking, <laughs> I, I'm just like, man, Just Franco kind of sucks. Fuck this guy. And I mean, he did. It's always like, been a joke on this show, though, that how much I hate Just Franco. And you've always been like, yeah, maybe Just Franco kind of sucks. Uh, maybe, you know, like, and, but you've never really deep, like, deeply delved into his work. And I haven't either. I've only gotten in, like, maybe. 10 movies and i'm just like fuck this shit i can't take this anymore this is like garbage my thing is i've seen like regularly the one good one i've seen vampire lesbos and what really makes that movie good is its soundtrack is fucking killer it's a great soundtrack and you can end up you Uh, know get high and watch that innocent first that's actually a pretty decent fucking movie and it's like swinging goddamn 60s and amazingly photographed but when you get into his exploitation stuff when you get into his 70s um, hardcore, his softcore, his between hardcore and softcore stuff, it's just all the same goddamn fucking movie. And when he does horror, he does it terribly because he's never been interested. He was never interested in making horror films. Horror films were just popular at the time and people give him money to make a movie. Uh, him and several friends went to go see a Hammer film and it was one of the Hammer Draculas and that's what kind of convinced him. Like, I'm going to start making horror films because he had started as an assistant director, which almost uh, we've talked about the Italians before. Everyone start if you're in film, you somehow start at the bottom and, and after 20 years, they just give you fucking movies. And that seemed to be how it worked up until going into the 1990s. And he decided he wanted to make, you know, films at some point in the 50s, moving on from an assistant director. And he made like 10, 20 movies at that time period and ended up moving from Spain to France because the censorship laws were, he could make a lot more art houses he wanted to do uh, in France. And that's when he just went completely downhill because without those censorship laws, it was like, no, rack on the bush, um, titties out there, let's just fuck it, let's just suck his dick, it doesn't matter, and then cut somebody's head off. And it, it's just like, sure, in theory, that sounds great. Oh, I great. forgot, we've already done Bloody Moon, though. This is our second Jess Franco movie, and it's worse than the first one. I forgot all about the first one. Yeah, Bloody Moon was a, Bloody Moon's like a one-time watch. You can watch it the first time, and you'll go, you know what? That's not that bad. Jess Franco gets a bad Devil rap. Hunter is a half-movie watch. It's a turn-it-off midway through watch. I struggled going over this for the show. It was just, it was stressful. Like, and that's all I can really say as a full review of Devil Hunter. It's fucking stressful, man. Just trying to psych myself out to finish it was horrible. <laughs> I had to go look in the mirror and tell myself, you can do this. You've, you finished Lucifer Valentine movies. You can fucking finish this, okay? And I did. You did, goddamn. See, I saw this when I was, I think, 11 or 12 i can't remember exactly how old i was because i saw the american uh somewhat cut copy but not like too overtly uh edited copy of uh it was called manhunter and it does have great like a great visual box and at at that age what about 11 or 12 lots of nudity so that was great for me but sitting there watching it just going what is even fucking going on? So a model slash actress gets kidnapped in her uh, hotel room by the guy who plays Mosquito or the Rapist, the movie we will go over <laughs> like in the future. Um, and what an Al Cliver title. gets sent on a mission to go get her, and they're off on some fucking tropical island where there is a zombie... God, I guess it's it's a fucking huge black dude with ping pong balls put over his eyes that have 
got like veins painted on him, and he just randomly commits acts of violence on people and villagers and cannibals and all this. And does and he it wear has pants? The, uh, he does not wear pants. His dick is it's swinging. All yeah, it's it's the entire time. I, I will say there is a fight between this gentleman and Al Cliver at the end of the movie, and this dude's dick slaps the fuck out of him constantly. Like I, maybe he got paid extra for it. I don't know, but I mean, it's literally a naked man running around the jungle. For a good portion of this movie, and I love like the IMDb facts and trivia for this movie are fantastic. No sets were built for the movie. No fucking shit. It's no a bunch shit. of people running around naked in the goddamn jungle. And one of the hysterical things is you've got these like tribesmen. So it goes from African Americans to incredibly well manicured white guys with huge big broom mustache fucking beards and all these random weird different mixed people and they just are either naked or have loincloths on. So obviously, oh, they must be tribes people or maybe there's some form of cult. I mean, it's really weird that you'll have like just such an odd mix and no fucking attention to detail. He there was there's no detail at all in this movie. It's Al Cliver wandering funny. around. Though is like you had the cannibal films, like a lot of the Italian cannibal films, where they would go off to like uh, South America to film, or they would go to the Philippines and actually try to get some people who look slightly different. And then you had the cheap ripoff cannibal films or native films, and they would just literally bring in production assistants with like fucking beetle haircuts and give them wigs and shit, and just paint them with like war paint as as they saw fit. And it's just like. All these dudes are white. Every last one of them is like a like a French guy or a Spanish guy, yeah. or is, it's just like they're they're definitely not natives. They're definitely not from the country they're pretending to be from in this film. And this thing is a slog because nothing happens. It is constantly just walking back and forth in the woods. And the odd thing about it is this movie is, what, 1980? So it's really during the cannibal boom, and there was so much material he could have ripped off. There was so much, like, stuff that he could have just straight up stolen from other people and made a better movie. That's who Jess Franco was. It's just like, what? I gave you what you asked for. You want cannibals? Uh, Felipe, come over here. Paint him up. See, he now he's a cannibal. And that's pretty much what happened. I watched an interview with him where he says, oh, cannibal movies were getting pretty popular, so I figured I might as well make one, and so I did, and here you go. And he has no flair for it at all whatsoever. It's, it's obviously he doesn't give a fuck. I think the thing that you have to appreciate when it comes to somebody like Jess Franco is just the fact that they knew, I, I personally think, that they didn't put out you know an amazing fucking art product, that, that they were no... Uh, fucking John Cassavetes making some amazing movies like Gloria, but it, it's just he worked. Gloria. He never stopped. He just was like, fuck it. I'm just going to do 150 fucking movies and it doesn't matter if they all suck. I'm just I did it. It's like those like hot dog eating contests where you have an odd disgust of watching somebody eat 5000 hot dogs in one sitting. But at the same time, you almost feel a, a sense of achievement like, well, they did something. They definitely I'd rather did watch something. Nathan's contest. I really would, because that <laughs> that's actually a lot more exciting than what's going on in this movie. Unless you just want to see like this dude's fucking dick swinging, which is like fine if that's it's what a you're nice into. Dick, and, like, I mean, but I would rather watch like some fucking porn if I'm gonna like get like swinging dick. I don't need like a horror element added to it. It's just it's like it's just bizarre that this is what's going on because a good portion of it is just like hi. I have this movie star. We want money. Send in Al Cliver. And then it's her with the natives. And then it's her like running from the fucking the uh, zombie god thing. And that's like that's the entire plot. That is literally the entire plot. And all the in-between stuff 
is just random pickup shots of people walking in the woods. That's it. Nothing happens. Well, there's weird-ass plot angles that never come to really fruition that, like, you get this weird Vaseline lens that I guess is uh, the devil god's vision. And at the beginning of the movie, before she's kidnapped, the devil god, or maybe it's the tribal girl with the really pretty afro, because she can get the vision, too. And she's also naked the entire movie, so I guess maybe they're connected somehow. But it never they never really explain anything, that just somehow the devil god and this woman can see this white woman in her hotel room and all the shit that's happening to her, and I, I don't. I don't know. I'm asking way too much. Those are called editing mistakes, Hank. That's called, let's get this footage fucking together and put the fuck out. I'm done with this shit. Nobody cleaned the fucking You're like trying to make sense of it. Yeah, I mean, that's literally nobody cleaned the lens for those shots, so he just edited it in there. That's a dream. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Nothing really matters. And that's Jess Franco. You can't really, you can't have any reasoning with a terrorist. (laughs) And Jess Franco is, is one of those people I consider a film terrorist to say because he just didn't give a shit. He was making money and doing what he loved. So you got to hand it to him in that aspect that the guy got to work every day of his life doing something he was very passionate about and loved doing. And he got paid for it. I mean, I don't know, a bunch of people jerked off to his movies and he had a good life. (laughs) The man paid in semen. Uh, This does have uh, one of my favorite, for no explainable reason, one of my favorite video nasty covers. It's um, literally... Just a guy in like a sweatband holding a rifle, completely wrong, holding it almost like a club, and it's supposed to looking like Al Cliver. It looks like Franco Nero in um, Shark Hunter. So uh, I don't know what movie they're fucking advertising, but that is not this movie, not even close. Severin has re-released this film on a, a a two disc set. It's not two disc. I'm sorry. It's two movies on a disc set. I can't recall what the other one is. It's uh, another pretty bad cannibal movie. And they've is done... it, oh, it's probably just cannibal. Is it cannibals or whatever the fuck? I don't know. I had the disc sitting in front of me, and now I don't because I'm an idiot. But um, the, I think they've... it's another. I think it's a French cannibal film that's on there with it. I'm not sure though. I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah, they've acquired or had custom new art done for it, so the art now is a bit more appropriate. That you've got the very buxom blonde white lady that's been kidnapped, and somebody with a giant ass knife is about to rip her open. And two, like that, that is the Manhunter box art. That's the box art I know from this film. Yeah, the the very bizarre thing too is the it's like not. I mean, it's not bizarre because it's just Franco, but some of the nudity is just so fucking senseless and random. Like eventually, Al Cliver and his buddy get to this boat where a woman attacks them, but she's just naked, like and never decides to put on <laughs> clothes like that. She just hanging out naked. Like I'm the one that contacted you. I'm trying to get this girl saved. I just. Fuck wearing clothes. And it's not that it's, you know, you have to wear clothes. It's just so much random bullshit. I don't even know why I'm bothering to talk about it. I mean, you check out Devil Hunter on your own and then come back to Trusty Old Death by DVD and say we didn't fucking warn you. Well, like, another thing that, I mean, I'm going to shit talk a little bit here. I love Al Cliver. I think he's awesome in the films he pops in, uh, up in and, uh, like, a lot of his Italian films and some of his European films. But Al Cliver has zero charisma. No, like none. his like none whatsoever. He just looks like lost or bored the entire time in most of his films. He just kind of stares forward and goes, "What am I even doing here?" Uh, didn't you recently like talk to Al Cliver on Facebook and he's just like, "What? 
I don't even care about those films I made. Yeah, he he wrote a, an autobiography and runs a hotel in Bali and just is usually shocked and surprised when people come at him with like, hey, I saw you in this Fulci movie. I saw you in this and that. And it's his response usually is why. And I really just, I mean, even what you just said, I constantly feel that Al Cliver at one point just accidentally wandered onto a film set and they just filmed him and put him He's to a work. star now. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, this guy walked onto the set and we're short one person, so we're just going to keep calling him and that's what started his career because it, everything, they've even managed to find voice actors that are usually just as bland. It, it does not matter when it comes to Al Cliver. A good portion of that probably is because he looks very white and blonde, so he looked very much like a stereotype stereotypical American somewhat. I mean, he, he just doesn't look very Italian or very European. He just look, kind of looks like an American dude. So they would stick him in when they were trying to, you know, gloss up their films and trying to make them a little, little bit more USA all the way, you know? Which is funny. The guy hardly fucking spoke English, you know? <laughs> I mean, most of these I don't actors, think he still knows any English. It's very broken from the, the little bit of contact I've had with him. <laughs> it's usually thanks to Google Translate Italian. But it's interesting, too, because you've got guys like Giovanni Lombardo Radice who could speak like four languages. And still he was dubbed his entire career because when he spoke English, it came out like a German. It, and it was, it's just one of the funniest things that somebody is so uh, just intelligent and so versatile and can do so many things. And they still like you've more than likely never heard his real voice. You've more than likely never heard Al Cliver's real voice. It's it's one of those things, too, that it would be so interesting to meet these guys because it almost must be shocking to be like, that's what they sound like? Get out of town. No way. Because, you know, like Catriona McCall, you know, David Warbeck, and like I've seen personally a lot of interviews with um Johnny Rad, so I, I know what he sounds like. But it's it's just a weird thing with the Italians that nobody ever is who they are. There's always more depth and more layers to the movie. And sometimes, like with Devil Hunter, it actually compliments it a little bit one of the funnier things that you can kind of at least riff with and enjoy throughout the movie is how bad that dub is that it's just very very lazy it's one of the lazier dubbings that uh you you but it's fucking just franco so of course yeah and that's probably the, the best word to describe the uh, this film in its entirety is it's lazy it was a lazy entry into the cannibal genre just meant to sell some units and move on it was meant to play for a weekend uh play 42nd street and just be forgotten i think but, he made six movies that year it's either three or six but still like this was nothing to him he was working it was just getting out there and what didn't he make like three jungle movies back to back to back so he just used his location something like that that's just what he did. It didn't really matter to him. The violence, the violent aspects of this, it's got some cannibal violence. None of it's very believable. It's mostly just like some some guts, some not very special effects, some like pig entrails thrown around and like and a fucking naked dude. So like even the uh, the the makeup effects are very low effort. But that's what ended them up on the video nasties list. Lots of nudity and fucking some shit they picked up at a slaughterhouse. It's honestly a laughable fucking film. I will give you $24.63 if you can sit through this movie at all. All the way, though. You gotta watch the credits, too. No breaks. You gotta finish the entire thing. Uh, it, it's really, too, one of, I think, the more hardcore horror movies out of Jess Franco, and not in the sense of a lot of gore and violence, but in the sense of just some of the incredibly explicit nudity, that it's not just dick. I mean, you've got 
there's a scene where one of the characters, one of the tribes people is is like writhing around and I guess praying to this statue that invokes the devil god. I don't know. They've got like a Native American fucking totem in the middle of the jungle and all these people with beetles bowl cuts are writhing around praying to it. And it's just like close up and close up and close up of her fucking butthole just over and over and over again. And it's, it's monotonous. Sounds like Jess. Yeah, it's a good five minutes of seeing this woman who's probably dead or in her eighties asshole. And God damn, I mean, if that's your thing, go for it. And I mean, there's so many people that like, there's a lot of guys that I respect. I'm not going to name names, but that just love Jess Franco and you always want to give it a chance when you see somebody that you respect or admire and enjoy their body of work uh, from artists to, you know, critics. And you just fucking, I can't, man. <laughs> After all these years, I'll be honest with you, I just fucking can't take Jess Franco, man. Uh, Venus and Furs and Vampire Lesbos, sure. Even Vampire, Lesbo, Vampire Lesbos, though, I mean, it's kind of in the title that there's going to be some lesbian stuff. Let's like, be see, honest. He's got stuff in his catalog that isn't, like fucking god awful but he's got so much god awful shit in there and there's so much of it it's hard to weed through all of it and if you get burnt like two or three times you just kind of you kind of get done with it and just go i'm i'm done going through his filmography cuz so much of it is just trash and uninteresting trash at that in fact devil hunter as far as his horror catalogs go is one of his more interesting films like there's the erotic rites of frankenstein there's there's Devil Hunter, there's uh, Oasis of the Zombies, which is not good. He did like two or three Hammer films, didn't he? He did um, so he did a couple things with Christopher Lee, and then Oasis of the Zombies was kind of a complete fuck-up, because he was supposed to do, what was it, Lake of the Dead? I, I know Jean Roland ended up directing Zombie Lake? Zombie Lake, yeah. He was supposed to do Zombie Lake, and Jean Roland ended up getting it, or he was fired. There's some detailed backstory to that. So he made Oasis as sort of, I guess, a response to that. And that movie's a fucking slog itself. That's one of the proto-early Nazi zombie sort of things, so you really are going to get excited with it until you see it's by fucking Jess Great Franco. Great poster art. Yeah, the theory of the movie's great, and that's something you can hand it to him. You read these synopsises, and it's like, man, he was a great writer. He just couldn't shoot a damn thing of that. He, like, he would write these incredible, and almost everything he did was penned by him. So it's, it's a, a lot of great thought and a lot of effort behind it, but the fucking product he put out is just so... Awful, usually. I mean, it's he's a horror legend and a horror hero and one of the, the most famous exploitation directors of all time, but he truly made exploitation, I guess you could say, and that doesn't always mean it's good. All right, so, I mean, we've established pretty much why it was banned. It was a fucking cannibal movie, so there you go. It had a giant fucking in, uh... dick in it for, like, I don't know, I'd say a good 17 minutes of its runtime is a giant dick. It was so dick. puritanical with nudity back then, but with nudity and... Violence mixed in is where male you, like, get all fucked up. Well, male nudity, somewhat, but I mean, it's more of the the tight shots. It's the tight shots yeah. of genitalia. That's because the problem. You gotta think Not about so much it. just the nudity. I mean, people freaked out over Watchmen because there was an animated, hardly realistic, big blue dong. But seeing something like Devil Hunter on a big screen, it's going to be like a 60-foot fucking cock. And it's a giant close-up shot of it. And like I said earlier, sure, it's a nice cock. But man... By the time you end this movie, you're so familiar with it that it's on your Christmas card list. Like, I, I know way too much about this guy's cock. And we'll get into uh, entries from the uh, the Art of the Nasty here shortly, but you know one of the uh, alternate titles is? There's several. It's one of my favorite alternate titles of Devil Hunter. Sexo Cannibal? Yes, which translates to Cannibal Sex. What a great title. 
Sexo cannibal. It's like necromantic. You just kind of want to say it. The Devil Hunter. The fact that this film made the band list is a mystery. Any jury forced to watch this mess would probably have fallen asleep whilst deciding its fate. Its UK video premiere came in November of 1981, and this was the first time it had been seen in Britain. Sydney Hollywood's tape is fairly rare and very collectible, but the film is now available in extended uncut version thanks to Severin DVD label. Uh, yes, if you look for the uh, Sydney Hollywood um, PAL VHS of it, I found the last one that had sold, sold for about 650 pounds, but I saw one going on some random auction site, and it looks like the auction is still going on, I think, for the next few days, and it's up to like, 1600 pounds i think for the original cine hollywood fucking pal vhs of this that's fucking weird as shit well it's like i said they're just fucking diehard franco fans man and like you've mentioned steven thrower that dude is is one of the most intelligent beautiful people to listen to to read he's just he knows everything he literally knows it all and he he loves jess franco and i don't get it i've tried to and it's like i think there's a kitsch factor with jess franco i think he once you get in like you kind of get in on the joke yourself. You kind of start to enjoy it. But to me, it's just all so boring. It's so dry. I can't just keep watching the same fucking thing over and over again. But on that same token, you have a lot of American filmmakers, not even so much from the 70s or anything, but like, um, hmm, was it John McBride who made um, Woodchipper Massacre? That lovely so. piece of art? I mean... I get what you're saying, but I think too a lot of it is is the sexual nature of the films. I think it, you have to kind of like porn to really like Jess Franco, and I'm just not a porn guy. I'm not in the '70s or '80s or '60s porn. It just doesn't, you know. I don't care about the story or the plot. I uh, don't care if Roger Watkins did it or not. It just doesn't really do anything for yeah, me. Yeah, like '70s porn to me is just not very entertaining. And yes, they had stories. They actually, I mean, there was a actual porn film industry. It wasn't just all sex. The sex was kind of an additive added to an actual feature film. But good old I'm Mitchell just, Brothers. I'm just not into it. Like like watching Jamie Gillis stuff and all that. It's just it's not my thing. The sex is not sexy to me at all. Uh, it's something I end up having to fast forward through. And the stories are usually pretty shittily put together, but you do have outliers in that. You do have stuff like cafe flesh. Um, you do have uh, Jesus. How, what's the, the, that other one? Uh, hard gore. I have no Is idea. I know cafe I flesh, but uh, out, uh, that and Caligari, I think are the only things by rinse dream. I'm really familiar with. Well, it's not so much just all rinse dream stuff. I mean, there's there's some weird stuff. I mean, the other the other rinse dream film that you're thinking of is uh, Electric Dreams. Yeah, which yeah. is uh, yeah, where it has the guy from the fucking Malto Meal box like banging a chick. Yeah, okay, that's the that's such a uh, <laughs> this is some weird stuff we're bringing up that we're just gonna like not talk about for a while. But um, yeah, rinse dream, one hell of a guy. Yeah, I mean that's see that's interesting to me at all, but. Even with something like Cafe Flesh, I've got to fast forward through this sex because it's not even filmed well. Because like the the sex stuff is all just like incredibly like up close 
shots of slapping genitalia. You don't really even have like wide shots of it. It's mostly like inserts and shit. Well, like Jamie Gillis was one of the founders of the gonzo genre, which was pretty much like extreme tight close-ups of dick going into buttholes and just hardcore pounding and wet macaroni noises. And it's it's if that's your thing, again, that's whatever, and that's your thing. I just it's I can't sit there and watch the movie and jerk off to it. And I know like that's supposed to be, I guess, some of the point. Like, look, it's got a story, and you can whack off to it. But like hot and saucy, hot and saucy pizza girls. We run a pizza parlor, and we fuck the guests, and then John Holmes whips out his 12-inch fucking dick and smacks somebody in the face. I don't get anything out of it. Unfortunately, I get, you know, it's not like I get off, but cut somebody's head off, do something a little interesting, then I'm going to get into it. Well, I mean, with porn, like, if it's going to have, like, actual hardcore penetration stuff in it, I need 10 minutes. I don't need a story. I don't need to, like, sit through an entire fucking thing. I, if I'm going to do that, I'll sit and watch a movie. But as far as just getting off, I am not watching somebody who looks like my fucking mother and father slapping fucking genitalia together in 1972. It's not something I find particularly sexually attractive. Yeah, I mean, I like Cronenberg. I like watching uh, his use of porn stars. I think something, I mean, he did it in one film, and like that's interesting and cool, and it makes you want to check out Marilyn Chambers, and then you find out, oh, most of her career is chugging dick. And there's nothing wrong with that. I just don't really want to watch it. I mean, even if there's a story wrapped around said chugging of dicks, it doesn't do much for me. Like, you've, you've, it's not that you've wasted the film. It's just an art that I don't feel any relation to. Is it kind of weird that I think porn has an expiration date? That it's no longer very sexy after, say, like 10 years. And it's just like, eh, that time period is not very attractive anymore. <laughs> and I have um, a, a big interest in the people behind the scenes. Like, I really think the Mitchell brothers and their theater and, I mean, their story is fucking crazy and what ended up happening to both of them regardless. But that aside, the guys and the people that were responsible, I mean, not just guys, but, you know, using that as like a term like dude. The people in the 70s and 80s especially that were behind the industry, despite uh, how irreputable it is and how awful people were treated, you had a lot of interesting artists and a lot of interesting writers and people that otherwise couldn't break through and ended up getting kind of stuck in the porn industry. So I have a respect for things like Roger Watkins. I mentioned him earlier. Uh, he he did a lot of porns. I mean, really, all we have from him in the horror genre is uh, Last House on Dead End Street. And his career was mostly in the hardcore scene in New York. He did a Jamie Gillis film, for fuck's sakes. And I, I, I just don't, I can't accentuate one passion into the other one. Just because I really like Roger Watkins, I, I just can't slog through it. And that's multiple attempts with just trying to, like, okay, I'm going to watch this porn. And I just, it's just not fun. I have no pleasure in doing it. And that's the unfortunate part. But that happens with any form of art. I mean, there are people that just think horror is the most despicable, awful, boring thing in the world and it shouldn't exist. So, I mean, there's different spectrums to appreciation. Yeah, uh, it's like, again, it's just one of those things. If that's your bag, that's perfectly fine. It's just not mine. And that's honestly like with a company like Vinegar Syndrome. I know it wasn't something that particularly like we're 100% interested in doing, but their early beginnings were just like, eh, you're putting out like two or three movies that I'm interested in, but like most of your shit is porn. They've since like done a whole 180 on that. And now that they've built up kind of a uh, word of mouth and they've built up a clientele and some money, they're actually have got really good distribution deals. And they're trying to put out some really like obscure and sometimes super quality product that the porn allowed them to do. But like I said, in the beginning though, it's just like you put out a blu-ray of water powered 
who cares? <laughs> like, I why would I buy this? And now the hardcore porn fans are disappointed that there's so much horror and exploitation. So you truly can't please absolutely everybody. And both of the genres mix so much. I mean, Jess Franco, I think, had a hard time realizing he wasn't on a porn shoot for a lot of his movies, especially fucking Devil Hunter. I mean, it's I would consider it more of a porn than a horror film. Yeah. So I guess that's the video nasties A through Z with Death by DVD, The Cannibal Man, and Devil Hunter. Watch The Cannibal Man, Devil Hunter. I don't care what you do. You can watch it. <laughs> do do whatever you want to. You can give Severin your money. If you must be a completist, then go complete. So that's the show. The ashtray is full, and the bottle is empty. Good night. Death by DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. I'm Linnea, and I like Death by DVD. It's a statement.